Well, good morning. How's everybody? Get situated, switch around all the stands. So, last week, Pastor Robert talked about the church. He jumped right into the, the structure, the leadership, kind of what the church is. All of us as a group of body, a body of believers. Today we're going to talk, like he said, about the church and its mission. And that's kind of, if you think of the church like what it is, today's is kind of the why. We're going to talk about why the church, why we do what we do. And then the next couple of weeks we're going to talk more about the how, like how the church functions, how we do specific things. It's more practical uh, pieces of that part of the puzzle. So if you're a part of a church, the mission of that church is something that you should be interested in. As a believer, we should all work to, um, to know what the church, like what is the point? What are we doing and why do we do it? And at Bethel, we say that as that we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. And that's essentially a summary of what we would call from the Bible the Great Commission. Um, for me, I got saved when I was a kid in church, you know, just growing up. Thankfully, I was in church regularly. My parents just made us go. And I remember, you know, you get saved and then you start kind of paying attention to what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that? And I remember learning about things like, oh, I, like people should share the gospel and people should invite people to church and people should read their Bible. And thinking through those things, you know, as growing up seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I remember not really understanding why that mattered. Like, I know they said it, so it must be kind of important, but I didn't really know where I fit into all that. Um, I'd invite, you know, my friends if I thought it was a fun day to be there. I'd invite uh, family, cousins. We live close to cousins, so we'd always drag a bunch of them with us. Um, I got, actually, the first time I was able to teach was in fourth grade. I taught my own fourth grade Sunday school class. That teacher let me do that one time as a fourth grader just because I showed some interest in it. And I remember, no, like, thinking how cool those things were. Like, oh, my friend came with me. Oh, I got to teach my, my class. But I had no clue then why that was important. Um, and I didn't get how that fit with where I would fit into the church and everything. I thought most of that stuff was for the adults. And then as I got older and started to learn more, I realized, like, I'm supposed to be involved, but what does that look like? Now, maybe you're here and you kind of can identify with that. Sometimes we tend to think, what do we do? Like, what, why I'm, I'm here, I showed up, or I helped with this. What, like, is there supposed to be something else? Um, or maybe, maybe you think where just what you're doing, that's like, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I don't really think there's more beyond that. Um, the other option, sometimes we kind of just like have no idea you know we see our friends and bring our families and hang out we're kind of like what are we supposed to do like what when when pastor robert teaches us something what do we do with that sometimes i get kind of hung up on that even still just the idea of there's something that i'm supposed to be doing and how do i go about that how do i what is it and how do i make it happen and if we're thinking about that, that's a good place to be because that means we're, we're curious about it, we're interested, 
We want to participate. We want to do our part. We just don't really know how to show that all the time. The disciples in the Bible, first century, thought this same thing. They struggled with what to do in one really famous instance after Jesus died. After Jesus was crucified, the Bible tells us that while some of the disciples saw it and they kind of knew it was happening, they obviously got chased away in the garden the night before, the Bible tells us that they did not understand the scriptures that he had tried to teach them, that he had to die so that he could rise again. It says that they were locked in their house because they were afraid of the Jews in that city. So they were basically kind of just hiding. They didn't know what, what was going on. And then, so Jesus rises again, and the, the ladies who went to the grave saw that he was risen, came back and told them, and the Bible tells us that they thought it was a tale. They thought they were just making it up. And then Jesus appears to them and tell, like, I'm alive. Here, here's, I told you this was going to happen. And he rebukes them for not believing that somebody had seen him risen again. So they were afraid. They didn't know what to do. And they were just kind of going to pass the time. That's what it seemed like. So all of that has happened when we're looking at our passage today in the U version is Matthew 28. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's preparing to ascend back to heaven. And he knows he has one last chance to say something. Obviously, he knows everything. He knows their emotional states. He knows they were afraid. He knows they weren't sure what to do about all of this. And so this is what he tells them in light of all that. The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And right in the middle, verse 19 and into 20, is the commission, what we see, the, the instructions Jesus gives, the command to his disciples. It's, it's a set of action words that he uses. And he delivers this to this group of believers and it still applies to us as a group of believers today. So let's go through those commands real quick and see what Jesus has for us to do. Now, if you've heard this before, it's, it's very familiar. And I'm going to be honest up front, it's super straightforward. There's not the kind of words where we could get into like the Greek and everything and try to figure out what they're saying. It's very, very clear. So the first one there at the beginning of verse 19 is go. Now go is a word that is very direct, you know, very intentional. It means that it's something we're choosing to do, right? I'm going to the store. I'm going to go there later. All the ways we use go in the English language show that it's something that we're choosing ahead of everything else, right? So I could go and do a million things today, but I'm going to pick one first. That's going to be my first priority to go and to do something. This one is hard for us when it relates to the Great Commission, I think, because you have to leave where you're at. And what I mean by that is not like we tend to associate this with missionaries, like leaving and going somewhere, right? But what, what it really means is wherever you're at, I can be standing here 
to do anything, to talk to one of you, to get in my car, I have to go, right? I have to take a step somewhere. I have to go to you to talk or whatever the activity is, you have to go to it. You can't just stay right here to do something. And even if it's only temporary, that's still hard because here is where we're comfortable. But the command is literally to go, whether that's going somewhere foreign to try to start a church, moving across the country, or just stepping into a situation with your neighbor, or having a conversation with your family, somebody in your home. The effort for this is usually what kind of gets in our way. We're masters of, well, I'm tired, or I'm going to trick myself into why I shouldn't do this. Or it's something good that we say is, is more important, like I need some family time, or we, need, we just need a break. Maybe the issue, like if you're like me and Amy, maybe the issue could be your family. Like my kids need instruction. They've had a, a very fun, special night of driving us a little crazy, and we just can't. We can't deal with it right now, so we're like, I need a break from this. I cannot step to that and instruct them. I cannot give them some godly counsel because they've just worn me out. And the way that we kind of justify that for ourselves shows that we don't always make it the priority that it is supposed to be based on this command. And if a person or a situation or a people anything like that, if it's important enough to us, we will be willing to go and to get involved with someone to point them to Jesus. And that's where the second command comes in is make disciples. And this is disciples of Jesus. We're pointing them to him for them to be able to follow him on their own. And a lot of times we start to kind of think this is only walking up to somebody and sharing the gospel with them. You know, in the old days, you know, that's always was conveyed as you walk up to somebody, did you know if you died tonight, if you would go to heaven? You know, and it jumps to that dramatic question that right away you put people on the spot. But when we're making disciples, that's, that's not how life goes. Like, if I see someone at the grocery store that I know, I don't just jump into, hey, how's your heart? How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you going to heaven or hell? You know, you don't start with that. You point people to Jesus through your life, through your examples, how he's worked in your life. Sharing those things is all part of how you point them to Jesus. And the truth is, all of us, like we think that command, like make disciples, might be kind of big or, or lofty for us. Like, I, I'm not a disciple maker. And the truth is we all make disciples, especially parents. We make disciples of our kids, or I made disciples of my siblings. They followed me. I made them disciples of me because I was the oldest. We all do it in different ways. So we know we can do it. It's just what are we making our kids or our siblings disciples of? And so in any relationship, making the conscious choice to go and to bring the gospel with us, to point that person to Jesus. 
And when they've made that decision to follow Christ, the third command is to baptize them. Now that one, obviously, that involves the church. We, we, we bring people to the church and the hope that they would be baptized because they publicly identify with that decision they've made to follow Jesus. And they, they take that step of faith to say, I follow Jesus, to publicly tell other people who they don't even know. And that one's hard because for people, they can't hide it anymore. A lot of, you know, you run into people who they don't want their family to know that they're a Christian or they don't want their friends to know that they go to church on Sunday. And so they take those ways to kind of try to get around it, but baptizing them means they're publicly telling everyone. And so anything we can do just to encourage people to that point of their faith to make that step is obviously important because it's part of this great commission. So it's a bigger deal than it may sound. And helping people to that is the third step of our obedience, but it brings people to this last one, which is to teach them to observe all things. This is when new disciples learn about the Bible. They learn more about Jesus and they take that step into the Great Commission themselves. So the knowledge of that, like I can sit here and tell you these four things, we're commanded to do them. We can know that really easily. But the difficulty here is when we start to obey it and to live it and to be consistent and to really teach others to do the same thing, whether it's by knowledge transfer so that they actually know what to do, or then by example, so they can see what to do. But we can help others in learning how to live the Christian life by modeling it and then walking through the Christian life with them. And so when you put all of these together, it's, it's very clear why these instructions are called the Great Commission. It's just, it's a big undertaking. It's, it's kind of just, boggles my mind at, at how big this thing looks when you talk about the whole picture of it. What we have to remember is that Jesus isn't commanding each one of us to do this by ourselves, and he's not commanding each one of us to do this for the whole world. He's commanding all of us to do this, to, to go where we're at to, to figure out what does go mean? And to do these things with the people that we know. Sometimes we've, we see stories where that means going to Indonesia and they, they live the rest of their lives in a tent building churches for the native people. That, like we see those stories, but that's not what this means for every single Christian. Sometimes it means you live in Orlando and have a job and kids and you do your job you provide for your family you raise your kids but you talk to your neighbors you build a relationship with them you show them how jesus has changed your life and what that could mean for them and when we get down to those little steps that even can sound intimidating at times especially you know depending on the neighbors or the friends or the coworkers. but that's where the Great Commission 
becomes even more amazing is we skipped verse 18 and the end of verse 20 because they're not commands, but they're promises, okay? And just like a really big sandwich, the Great Commission is the meat in the middle, but these two promises are the bread that holds the whole thing together. So let's look real quick at verse 18 and 20 to see the two promises that Jesus gives us. In verse 18, he says, all authority is given to me. That word authority literally just means power. He's in charge of. He is over all of heaven and all of earth. And that's something that God has given him. And because of that, he's allowed, like he can justify why he can instruct us to do these things. He's the only one. The New Testament shows us many times where people didn't understand how Jesus could do things. They say, by what authority do you do this? And if they were genuinely finding out, it would be explained eventually. And if it was like the Pharisees would ask him, and he'd say, well, tell me if it's going to, you know, he'd ask them some question, they couldn't answer, and he said, then why should I answer your question? Because they didn't really want to know, they were just trying to prove him wrong. But that authority was always there. He taught as one having authority. He did miracles because of his authority. And so that power rests in Jesus, and that's how we can accomplish these things that he wants us to. But the second promise in verse 20, the second half there, is his presence. It says he will be with us as we do this until the end of the age or the end of this world. And it's the same way he lives in our heart as believers. He's going to be with us when we go and we pursue the Great Commission. And I struggle with this idea and I don't know that we're supposed to understand completely what that means. But I do know that the U version, the ESV that I use or the Bible I have at home, those words where he says that are in red. And it comes down to, are we going to believe the Bible or are we going to kind of question it and wonder about it? Because we believe the Bible for our, our own salvation, but then we don't always believe it for what are we supposed to go and do now? And because those words are in red, I know that historically Jesus said that. He promised that. It's not like some other guy said, Jesus told me he was going to be with us. Like his words were written down that he said, I will be with you. And that promise is so incredible that he's not only going to empower us to do it, he will be with us as we go. That's how important it is that we continue his work is that he's going to be with us to do it. And a lot of times we think that means we're supposed to do that instead of being a dad or a husband or an employee or these other good things in our lives when really it's not to, to get rid of all those, but the Great Commission must be a priority that I intentionally pursue. It has to be a part of my life that I make important. And that's because I'm commanded to do this. And if I love people around me, I will be willing to do it. And it's not always just about the people that we love, though, but the people we see who we don't, we don't know yet, like we come across them in life. Or the influence that we have with people 
who will meet people that we'll never know. All of that goes together to make the Great Commission not something that's a burden for me or you or even just our church, but for the Christians around the world to be participating in this. We never know who I might see that was taught the gospel over here and now we're bringing it back to the forefront of their mind and they're committing to follow Jesus. That's why this is so important and why it's commanded of each of us. But let me give you an example. This, this is a, a little bit, um, just a, a story, some history. Got a little, starts with a little bit of a love story since it's Valentine's Day. And then we'll close up. So in, the, in um, 1981, a guy married a girl. And she had lived in an area. She went to a church that was newer. And... He didn't really go ever. He was kind of a, a wild, wild, wild guy, wild and crazy guy. And they got married, and then a couple years later, they had a baby. And because she had now had a son, she told, the, the girl told her husband, I'm not going to church with a kid with no father. I don't want people to think anything or talk about anything, so you at least just have to go with me. So because he loved his wife and because he loved his son, the guy went with. And eventually, a few months later, he got saved. And it was kind of crazy because it changed him quite a bit. And despite the things that maybe you don't notice all the time, just the way he changed was evident over the years. Well, because that happened, like, not just because she made him go to church or he felt guilty because of his son he went to church but that church had to be there okay so where did that church come from well the guy who started that church worked on the railroad in ohio and in he came to the area so i said 1981 1968 he came to that area and started that church a guy who used to work on the railroad in Ohio. Why? Nobody knows but God. Why would that happen? Well, this guy started this church after he had been convicted in his home church in Ohio to go and, and go to Bible college to be a pastor and start another church. The church he was in had been in Ohio, this, um, Akron, since the the 30s, the 1930s. So we're getting back there now. This is almost 100 years ago. And that church, he was saved from hearing their pastor, a guy named Dallas Billington. Some people might know the name, but most of us don't really. He started that church because he knew he needed to start a church after he had been saved. And he had been saved at a revival meeting in the wonderful town of Paducah, Kentucky. Okay, the, the Emanuel Baptist Church, which was technically originally named the Second Baptist Church of Paducah. They were the second because they were started by the First Baptist Church. And the First Baptist Church of Paducah was started in 1894. Okay, so now we're getting way back there. In 1894, they started the church with a group of believers where the core had come from 
a baptismal meeting on that side of the town in 1878. The church who reached those people was the First Baptist Church, which had started, get this, in 1840. And those believers, their church building was used as a hospital in the Civil War. And they started their church from one who I couldn't find the beginning of. It just existed in the 1830s. So almost 200 years ago that some believers started a church and some people got saved and it kept happening. So they started another church because they wanted the other side of town to have a church. And some people there wanted another church started. They started one. And they held revival meetings and they reached people and they reached a young man who started a church in Akron, Ohio who started his church and kept it going and reached another guy who worked on the railroad who said, I'm going to go start a church and ended up in a place called Richton Park, Illinois. And he had a church for 10 years going that he, they reached a young man who had gotten married and went to church because he felt guilty that his, his wife was going to go alone. And that guy got saved on January 22, 1984. And that guy was my dad. And because of all of that, I was in church my whole life. And I heard the gospel and I heard all of this stuff. And yeah, I wondered where I fit and, and where everything belonged. But I had it. It was in my head. It's in my heart. And I think about all that stuff because I wonder, what am I doing now that could affect people around me? But what about people later? You think any of those people in the 1800s, their church building being used as a Civil War hospital, were worried about me? They had no clue, but they did one thing. They obeyed this command. And we should be thankful when we think about that stuff. Because we could do that same exercise with a lot of us, including Pastor Robert and Pastor Jay, how they got here to start this church that impacted a bunch of you. And we should be thankful to God for working through all of that history, but we should also be thankful to the people who obeyed the Great Commission. And it should motivate us to do our part in continuing that. Because that line, that's as far back as I could find. Otherwise, I'd still be talking about it. That, it, went, it went dry there in the 1830s. But somehow that church is related back to the disciples. You understand that the gospel didn't go away and just show back up later on. People have told people about Jesus since he went back to heaven, after he gave this instruction, and it's reached us. And it should motivate us to keep, keep it going. So where might we go? Like I said, it's not some long-distance thing where we have to go and leave and say goodbye to everything we know, but we have to go somewhere across the room to the other person on the couch, around the block to our neighbors. There's a lot of different ways that looks. Who might you reach? And who could become a disciple? Whose life could be changed just because we obey? 
just think about that story. Like, I, I, was, I haven't heard it before. I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm calling it my gospel story, hearing about all that. Think about yours and just how you reached Jesus and how people don't have that. Or maybe you're here today and you, don't, you personally don't have that. You're not sure what that means. Um, I just want to tell you, Bethel Community Church would be ecstatic to be part of your gospel story, to be a part of how you found Jesus, how you followed him. I would be excited because that crazy story got me to the point where I felt moved to come here. And all of that would influence your life. And that's not because of me, that's because of God working through those things for so long. So remember, church, as we talk about the Great Commission, it's not just, oh, here's what we're supposed to do. But there are people out there who have stories that are incomplete and we can be a part of it and it might be people we really really care about maybe it's not maybe it's people we don't know but we're going to have an influence on them we're commanded to go to make disciples who get baptized and teach them to live for christ and we have those promises of his power and his presence to help us do it all we have to do is take that step we start at go and we go we just follow those along and rely on Christ and he's going to complete it he has completed it for 2,000 years and he will continue to do that if we just commit to obey remember the key I said the great commission must be a priority that I intentionally pursue and that's why. All that, the story, that's why we have to do it. Because there's people who need us to do it. Who will only be reached by one of us. There's people in your life that I can't reach and vice versa. So we all have to be a part of it. Let's pray.